Well, my name is Chad Norris, and I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you, by the way. That was incredible, guys. Thank you for leading us. That was awesome. These teams get here early. They work hard. Seth, I, I dream about playing the drums like Seth does. In my mind, I do. There's something in that sound. I was in the shower around a year ago, and the father said to me, I want to teach you how to walk without crutches. My first thought is plural. Plural. I've got more than one crutch. There are sometimes I am bold to talk to God, and sometimes I don't want to ask him what he means. Now, a year later or so, I realized that the two crutches he wanted me to learn to live without were a need of approval and appetite. When Jesus went into the desert and Satan tempted him, there's three areas Jesus was tempted in. His any need for ambition, any need for approval, and his appetite. Basically, Jesus went into the desert to connect with his father on a higher level. I found out this week from a friend of mine, Adam Birch, I had no idea, Adam, where are you at? I saw you earlier. I had no idea that in Israel, vineyards can be on the side of a hill and they will choose not to take rocks because in order for the vines to grow, they need a little pressure. And so looking at this a year later, realizing that's why you had me preach a series on grit. That's why you had me teach a series on nevertheless. And that's why you had me start really the merge between two churches with the idea of healing the orphan spirit, which is why we have a, a table up front here that came from a tree on this property because we're all invited into intimacy with the father. We're all in his family. And I didn't know it at the time. I like what C.S. Lewis says, it's easier to discern God in your past because when you dust for his fingerprints, he was a part of your narrative all along. You just didn't really know it. I thought I was just given a series called Grit. I thought I was just doing a series called Nevertheless. Really, the Nevertheless series lasted about four years, to be honest. It was fear of the Lord. It's surrender. And the whole thing started off when Wendy and I said yes to this job. I started off just really talking about the approval and the love of the Father. But it's only been in the past couple of weeks where I've gone, wait a minute. You were giving me a tool all along to help people walk in friendship with God. I want you to write these three things down. This is three things I've learned as a lead pastor in seven years of what people do that keeps them from friendship with God. Number one, they choose shame. Number two, they choose control. Now, I know none of you do. I'm just saying the people that I have pastored and the person that I stare in the mirror at, those two things really can get at you. Number three, you choose comfort. Three roadblocks to walking in friendship with God. Shame, control, and comfort. Yesterday in a conversation with my wife over something that I wanted to talk about, while I'm talking to my wife, I realize that I'm doing the opposite of the sermon I'm about to preach for the next 15 minutes. What are you supposed to do with that? 
when God names you lead pastor and in a conversation with your spouse, you're choosing all three at the same time. Here's what's funny about the prophetic. The father was showing me what I was doing while I was doing it and I still did it. Well, I think God speaks to me so much in the shower because it's hard to hide in the shower. If you shower with clothes on, you probably need a therapist. You came into the world with no clothes on and it was kind of messy. When you shower, it's because you stink and you don't wear clothes. But yeah, somehow we start connecting with God or each other. We cover ourselves emotionally. I'm not going to let you see me. I'm not going to let God see me. And I start off with the old choose the shame. It started way back in the garden. What does God say to Adam when he goes looking for him? Adam, where, where are you at? What's going on? Where are you? Me realizing that God loves me when I'm at my worst is really helping me right now. It's deeply impacting me. Because any of us in here are wired to believe God likes you when you're at your best. I did the 40-day fast. I even did a one-day fast. I went one day without doing the big sins. Oh, aren't I so wonderful? So basically we've created a Christianity that's defined by what I'm not doing instead of me exposing myself to the Father and just being vulnerable. So I want to talk to you about a tool that God's shown me over the past few years, and I didn't know what was going on. I, I, I'm not God. But I look back at what I've preached for the last six, seven years going, oh, my goodness. Step one out of shame, and I want to show you this through our logo itself. Step one out of shame is this odd little word that you're saying, pardon? Yada. <laughs> the heck is Yada. It's a Hebrew word called yada. The opposite of shame is vulnerability. Not just with each other, but with me towards the Father. Now, I want to look at a couple of passages here. This will be on my epitaph. If I have an epitaph one day, I don't know how I'm going to choose to check out of here. But Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is pre-cross. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But... Let him who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. That word knows yada. You say, what does that mean? In the English sense, to know something is to know that I'm looking at Todd Rudisil, to know that that's a basket, to know that that's carpet. That's not what this word means. In Genesis 4.1, it says, Adam, yada, even they conceived. It's the highest form of intimacy between two people. And it's the type of intimacy where I know and I'm known. I'm known and I know. Pre-cross, Holy Spirit in his word is given a foreshadowing of actually what Calvary is all about. Calvary was never an invitation for you to do better. Calvary was an invitation for you to have an intimate relationship with the Most High God. That's it. I can show it to you in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. This is a great definition of the gospel. Chad Norris was once alienated, hostile in mind, performing in evil deeds, but now... At Calvary, I'm now presented before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. And listen, I'm just asking you to listen to me for a second. 95% of you don't deeply believe that. What happens is we become unbelieving believers. So in Mark 9, when Jesus comes onto the scene, there's a little boy being thrown into the fire by the demonic realm. Jesus gets frustrated with his disciples because they can't cast the demon out. And the boy's dad says this, I do believe Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. 
ultimately, my shame is an unbelief problem. And you say, well, it's not that big a deal until you understand that the Bible equates unbelief with witchcraft. My need to control is an unbelief problem because I only control a situation when I don't trust the Father. I choose fig leaves when I don't trust that the Father loves me. And then comfort, oh, don't even go there about comfort. I'm choosing comfort because I believe I have to be my own savior, whether it's food, substance, work, either shifting my personality so that you'll like me. I have to become someone I'm not even wired to be. It becomes exhausting. The three steps to not walking in friendship with God or each other, they're pretty exhausting. I mean, it gets to the point where it's like, I don't know if I like being that person anymore. And the father says, I never wanted you to be that person. So the opposite of shame, step one is Yadah. Look at, look at the equivalent to Yadah. Go, uh, Noel, go to Philippians uh, 3. It's a Greek word called gnosko. You say, well, what does that matter? Well, gnosko was a Jewish idiom for intimacy inside the context of marriage. And what Paul says here is this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word knowing there is a picture of intimacy, friendship. He knows me, I know him, and I don't stand in his presence with fear of shame. You know, righteousness, in essence, all it is is I stand right now because of Calvary and my acceptance of the blood of Jesus. I stand in the presence of the Father free of shame. But what I do, I'm like that little boy's dad. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, and I slide in and out of belief and unbelief pretty much all the time, and you do too, on three major areas in your life. The shame area, the need to control, and the need to choose comfort. You can't do better to get out of that. I'm sorry. You can't. You know, you're dust to dust. You don't just need a savior to get you into heaven. You need a savior about 24 hours a day. So on the logo here, if you look at the second step on our logo, I never saw it coming, but there's three quadrants in our logo. Yada, acceptance, choosing the father's love, accepting my own acceptance. He loves me. He likes me. This is my beloved boy in whom I'm well pleased. The second step to get out of your need to control is surrender. That was a five-year series I basically preached here. I never saw it. You say, what do you mean? Well, go to this Gethsemane passage in Luke. Look at what Jesus says in Gethsemane. I love this. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I've noticed that there's something about the Lord's life in the Gospels. He received love from the Father, and then he surrendered his own life. Not one time. You see, in the West, we think of salvation as the one moment where you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Paul says, as you perceive grace, continue to walk in it. Look at this passage in Philippians 2, because Jesus did this all the time. Matter of fact, these three steps I'm going to give you today, if you do them every day, I promise you, over a period of time, you'll be in a higher level of friendship with God. This is what Jesus did, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Step one is I receive love from the Father. Remember when this happened for Jesus? Audible voice, this is my beloved baby boy in whom I'm well pleased. Next passage, what happens? He goes to the desert. You receive love. You, you empty yourself before the Father, and you say, everything I have is yours. And that, that one's tough, because Janet Jackson is not the only one that struggles with control. And you know what I'm talking about, 1980s and 90s music lovers. 
People say a lot of times, well, you know, men struggle with issues and women struggle with control. No, if you're a human being, you're breathing, you got a tongue in your mouth, you're alive, you struggle with control, I promise. Now, you may struggle with it on a high level or a low level, but I promise you it's going to be a temptation for you to be your own God, specifically those of you that have grown up in church your whole life. It's almost easier for an addict to receive grace from God than it is for someone who's a lead pastor because somewhere along the way, we just expect that we're just supposed to be a person that doesn't need Jesus. Says who? So Brandon gets on stage last week and says, my name's Brandon and I'm an addict. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I promise you, you are struggling with addiction in something in your life. You say, brother, no, I'm not. I work 70 hours a week to provide for my family. You might want to start there. That's a good place to start. If your personality is one, one thing at home and then it completely shifts when you're at your work, why? Because you might be living for their approval. You're addicted to something and someone who says they're not, they're deceived. So what do we do? You receive love from the Father. You relinquish control of any outcomes and you say, Father, listen, whatever, my life is yours. You know, you actually start to breathe easier that way. I'm not going to lie, some of the seven-year plan over your life stuff, it's not even biblical because it's not related to the manna narrative in the wilderness and it's not the Lord's Prayer. Because anytime I try to live tomorrow while I'm in today, you're already out of a kingdom mindset. Well, brother, I've got a 10-year plan and this is my plan to do this and that. Listen, man, I'm just trying to get through each day receiving love from the Father. I'm glad you got it all figured out. Some of y'all need to flush down the toilet your day planners that have what you're going to be doing seven years from now. James says, if the Lord wills. I love what our, our um, tour guide said, Israel. I'd ask him a question about, you know, like, hey, where are we starting off tomorrow? And he would say, well, you know, if the Lord wills, will this and that. My kids hate it when I do this. Dad, where are we going to go for dinner tonight? You know, I don't know, whatever the Lord says. It's like, no, no. <laughs> Third step to walk in wholeness after you're receiving love from the Father. After you're asking God to help you with your obsession with control is number three, choose grit. Now, this one's a fun one. This is why I go on hikes. People say, you must be an outdoorsman. Nope, I'm not. My idea of being outdoorsy is what I did yesterday, sitting in my backyard, smoking a beef rib for nine hours. So why am I hiking these hikes? Why am am I going to go on a 16-mile hike this coming Friday? Because I'm learning that when I choose discomfort, it draws me towards God. You know that you are moving in and out of connection with the Father and each other at all times, and somehow in the Western theology, we think it's a one-and-done thing. No, Paul says, I'm saved and I'm being saved. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The truth is, some of you in here, you may have raised the dead before, but now you find yourself struggling with unbelief in a certain area in your life. Welcome to being a human being. Why is there more grace in Alcoholics Anonymous class than there is in the church house? Because you feel like you got to clean yourself up. You better smile. You better, you, you, hey, I got to work. I got to make sure I'm worshiping. Some of you this morning, if you, you're not in a place you should worship, you'd be better off just sitting down against the wall and saying, Father, I just need you right now. There's a level of vulnerability I see with addicts that I don't see in the church. Yes. This morning, we had a men's gathering. How many people were there? I'm bad with numbers. 48. 40, <laughs> Andy's Baptist. 
You remind me of the passage where there's 153 fish. That must have been a Baptist that counted that. There's 48 men in that. I've been a lead pastor for, oh, I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I've never come close to seeing the amount of vulnerability that I saw in my small group of five. Never. And that's not okay. So what we do is we, we cover up with fig leaves, we control our narrative, and then we choose comfort. And then we wonder why we go a decade not feeling more connected to the Father or each other. So I'll close with this. Andy, I'm going to ask you to come up, and then we're going to do something. Look at this last slide. You're going to notice two circles at the top of the big circle. You say, what in the world is that? Choosing yada, surrender, and grit, not just once a week, maybe multiple times a day, you'll find yourself over time at a higher level in the mountain of God. Choosing the other way, choosing shame, choosing control, choosing comfort, you will find yourself stuck. This is a house of freedom. But at some point, you don't just inspire. You've got to give people tools, real people, common people tools to help themselves and to help other people get to a higher place on the mountain. You see there's two people at the top of the mountain? There's a Ben Patat and then there's a me standing beside him. That wasn't that funny. You need someone to help you. You say, you're a self-made man. No, you're not. I'm a self-made woman. I've been in the church since 1914. I've led 700. Nope. Jesus sent them out in twos. There's always a stronger party in the covenant. A picture of spiritual authority is you need another wounded healer, another broken Sherpa, who just has something to offer you that you need at the time. That's a picture of spiritual authority. Someone to help you process those three things in your life. And I'm going to tell you something. If you say, I, need, I wonder which one of those three things you struggle with. Can we, can we put the three bad things back up there, Noel? You struggle with all of them every day to some degree. Shame, control, comfort. So what we want to choose into is Abba loves me and he likes me. That's pretty awesome. What if you spent the rest of your life just discovering his personality and his personality towards you? Whew. And then the second thing is, Father, I'm sick of control in my life. So you have control. Nevertheless, Father, I want to get low Philippians too. And then the third thing, you say, I'm going to choose discomfort. 